All right, we're going to get started. If you want to come sit down, have a seat, uh, you could turn to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. It's good to be back uh, after having a couple weeks preaching break. Um, it's always refreshing for me, and this is kind of a refreshing season, even in the midst of the heat. I hope this is a time of just rejuvenating for you as we kind of take a pause from our normal routine. Um, but I'm excited to continue the series. We started it last week about the Holy Spirit. And uh, the story today takes place in the first century in this town called Caesarea. And there was a man named uh, Cornelius that lived in this town. And he was a Roman soldier. Uh, he wasn't just a Roman soldier. He was a centurion. So he was, uh, locally, he was kind of a big deal. He was in charge. Um, and uh, it, it, we... We know that he's a God-fearing man. It tells us that he's generous, uh, that he gives to those in need, um, that he, uh, he spends uh, a lot of time in prayer. And uh, there was a, a day, one day in the middle of an afternoon around 3 p.m., uh, he ends up having this vision. And in the vision, uh, he, he sees this angel or this angelic being that comes to him and, and talks. And in the midst of this vision, it tells him that he needs to go to this place called Joppa and find this man named Peter there and have Peter come and teach him uh, about the ways of, of God. Uh, right when this is happening, this man Peter, some of you have heard of him, one of the disciples is living in Joppa, and, uh, and, and he has a vision as well. And in his vision, all sorts of different stuff's coming on, but towards the end of the vision, uh, he's told that there's a man that's looking for him. And sure enough, uh, Cornelius' guards get to his house and want him to come out to meet. And Peter says, um, that's so strange. I just felt like I had this dream and God spoke to me and that I'm supposed to go with you. And this meeting happens. And uh, Peter goes and, and meets with Cornelius. And as they're meeting, Cornelius is saying, it's just the strangest thing. Uh, I had this vision. God told me there's this man named Peter in Joppa and that we need to talk. And he's kind of explaining what's going on to Peter. And the story picks up in uh, Acts 10, uh, verse 34, as... Cornelius is kind of summarizing how they've got to this connection point where they're meeting. And it says in verse 34, then Peter began to speak. He said, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. And we are witnesses of everything he did. And then in verse 44 it says, While Peter was speaking these words, the Holy Spirit, came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. So there's this interesting story where one man has a vision. He feels like God speaks to him and tells him to go do this thing at the same time. Uh, Peter has this vision, says you need to go here. Uh, and then Peter's telling the story about who Jesus is, and he's saying like the Holy Spirit came on Jesus and all of this amazing stuff happens. And then as he's telling the story, the Holy Spirit falls on the whole crowd that is listening. Like looking back on this story, it would be interesting. You could say like God's setting some things in motion here. 
And there's a whole lot going on with like this Roman soldier who's a Gentile coming to, to faith and Jesus becoming a Christian. Um, but when you would kind of, kind of look back and say, what in the world is going on here? It seems like God is orchestrating certain events, and he's being very specific. This is something very mysterious and wonderful. And then this idea that the Holy Spirit's kind of been interacting with these relationships falls on this group of people. Um, it would have just been, they would have just been filled with awe and wonder. A story about the Holy Spirit, it's always something that feels a little bit wild. It always feels like something that's mysterious when we deal with this topic of the Holy Spirit. Uh, you might grow up in kind of a, a, a faith tradition where this is a comfortable conversation for you. You might grow up in a, you know, no faith at all, and it just sounds bizarre. But like, what in the world is the Holy Spirit doing in this story? What is the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? We have these questions about uh, it, it, this, this mysterious presence. It feels like if you're like a Star Wars fan, it's like the force, you know, like it, what, what in the world is it? And, and what we want to do over the kind of the next three weeks is just explore kind of who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does in our life. So last week we had Christy Faye speak and she, she talked about how the Holy Spirit uh, leads us to discernment. Um, when we had planned these sermons together, that was actually like the fourth sermon in the series, but she preached here this week because, or last week because I was out of town. Um, so we're jumping in today with just a simple definition. Who is the Holy Spirit? What is the Holy Spirit? Now, it, the easy answer would be this, that when we understand the kind of the nature of God, we know that there's this idea of the Trinity, right? There's God the Father, there's the Son Jesus, and then the Holy Spirit is the third person of this Trinity. And here in verses uh, 37 and 38, that Trinity are all present. God comes and he empowers Jesus here on this earth with the Holy Spirit. And so the simple answer is, like, when you understand God, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. But, like, how do we understand the Spirit, God's Spirit, here on earth? And uh, if it is something that's mysterious, Oswald Chambers said this about the Holy Spirit. It says, the Spirit is the first power we practically experience when we come to this relationship with Christ. But it's the last power that we come to understand. This is Oswald Chambers, who wrote My Utmost for His Highest, really smart guy. So if he's saying this, I'm like, that's okay that there is some mystery around this presence of God in our life. The Holy Spirit, we find, is present from the very first chapter of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1. When it starts to talk about the creation of the world, it says that this uncreated matter was dark and chaotic. And the Holy Spirit was hovering over these waters, and it starts to bring order and life out of the chaos. And we see that the spirit of the hovering God is something that, that brings about order in the midst of something that is chaotic. The Hebrews, the ancient writers, the word for the spirit is ruach, which refers to uh, like the, uh, almost like wind or breath. It's the spirit, uh, and, and it's something that, much like the wind, I think it was Billy Graham who said this, that you, you can't actually see the wind, but you can see the effects of the wind that it has on leaves as it blows through uh, trees. It's the same thing with the Holy Spirit. And it was basically this idea of energy that is giving life. And in the same way that as we inhale air and we inhale breath, it, it gives us life and energy. This, the same thing is this is the God force that's giving life to creation and to us. As breath keeps us alive, God's Spirit keeps everything alive. In the Old Testament, we find that this Spirit is 
uh, allowing Joseph to interpret dreams. It's giving artists creativity in the temple. Uh, the Holy Spirit is giving prophets a word of God about the heart of God to culture. The Holy Spirit's interacting with people in all sorts of different ways. And if we want to know who the Holy Spirit is, it's hard to even fit this into a whole sermon because this is the, the diversity of God of how he interacts in the world with us. In the New Testament, this idea of the Holy Spirit, as we find here in Acts, is the Greek hagios pneuma. Hagios meaning holy or sacred or set apart or something different or something that stands out. And that's what the experiences we have with God, just they're, they're something that feels a little bit different about them. It's, it's hagios. It's holy. And pneuma, again, the spirits, breath, wind, air, the presence of God in our life. In John 14, 16, Jesus says that uh, we should be awaiting this comforter that will come. And he describes the Holy Spirit as this idea of someone who comforts. And the word for that is uh, made up of two words. One is fortis, which means to strengthen. This, this Holy Spirit is something that comes in power and it strengthens. And calm, which means to be in the company with. Jesus is saying this comforter will come and it is to be in the company of something that will strengthen you. Romans 8.26, the Apostle Paul talks about this spirit, and he says this Holy Spirit intervenes and it helps us. And in times of suffering, when we're praying and when we're confused and we don't even know what to pray, that Holy Spirit intervenes. We have this, this language that we have with God. And here in Acts chapter 10, we have this story about the Holy Spirit at work in the life of Cornelius and Peter, and the community that is gathered. And what we find about Acts is it's written by this man named Luke. And Luke was a doctor. And Luke wrote something else in the Bible, the Gospel of Luke. So Luke and Acts together make up about 25% of the New Testament, but Luke talks about the Holy Spirit so often that most of the references of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, about 50% are found in these two books of Luke and Acts. And as Luke is telling the story about the Holy Spirit, and he's telling the story of Peter talking to Cornelius and explaining Jesus, he goes back to one of his old stories in Luke chapter 3. And that's what I want to pick up on, and as we're just catching glimpses of the Holy Spirit in these sermons, there's uh, kind of three movements of the Spirit that we find in the life of Jesus in Luke chapter 3 and 4. So let's turn there. Luke chapter 3, we'll start in verse 21. It says, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, and it said, you are my son, whom I love, and with whom I am well pleased. This is at the very beginning of the life of Jesus, his, or very beginning of his ministry. And it says that this Holy Spirit descends like a dove. It's something that, that comes down and it comes upon him and it anoints him. It descends to Jesus who receives. The first thing I say is that the Holy Spirit, it's something that anoints us with God's uh, assuring and approving presence. The Holy Spirit is something that anoints us with God's assuring and approving presence presence in our life. 
And I think what's so amazing about the story is Jesus' ministry is just starting. He hasn't even done anything yet. And then the Holy Spirit comes and says, this is my son. The the sin's like a dove, and the heavens open up, and the voice from God says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And I think there's something for us in, in a culture where we are constantly being bombarded with all sorts of messages about what our identity is. When we have an encounter with the Holy Spirit, we are reminded that we are God's children. There is something assuring about that. And it's not based on merit. It's not based on what we do. It's not based on us trying to, to, to do something to make God happy. God just loves us because God is love. And here at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, this Holy Spirit descends like a dove with this assuring voice. Yesterday, we uh, went to the new Lion King movie with our children. Uh, one of our local ministry partners, Teach One to Lead One, had this fundraising event. So we went over there, watched The Lion King. Um, I really enjoyed Lion King growing up, the cartoon. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but Disney's been redoing all these old cartoons, which makes me think, like, are there no new stories? Like, what? <laughs> and, uh, and it was great. It was great. I personally liked the cartoon better, maybe because I was a child. Um, this one was a little bit darker, um, but it was still fascinating. But there was one scene that just it reminded me almost of the story of, of when Simba, I'm sure, I'm not going to ruin anything, right? We've all seen Lion King, like this is nothing new. Um, like when Simba kind of like runs away and he's hanging out with Timon and Puma and he's like, uh, Nala comes, his old friend, and says, you have to go back, you're the king, and Scar's ruining everything, and he's like, no, I'm not the king anymore, that's not who I am, I'm not going to do it, I don't care, Akuna Matata, we don't care about anything. <laughs> and like he finally has this moment where, like, uh, I can't remember the, the monkey, what's his, Rafiki, yes, gets a hold of him, and he, and he says, you have to remember who you are, and then he goes and he's looking at this lake, and he has this vision, and he looks in the reflection, and he sees himself, but he sees his father and himself, and then this voice comes, and it's his dad, it's Mufasa, right? And Mufasa's saying, you are my son. You are the king. This is your identity. It's time to step into your calling. Then he goes back and takes care of business. Sorry for spoiling that. <laughs> but... There's something about us when we understand our identity, when, when we receive this, I think, this message that, that God gives us that you are my son, you're my daughter, you're my child, and I love you, and with you I am well pleased. That establishing that identity empowers us to live into our calling as followers of Jesus. There's this assuring voice that comes in the presence of God and his Holy Spirit that reminds us of our identity. It descends like a dove, God's approving presence that we experience. What's interesting is what happens next with Jesus as he gets baptized. The very next thing that happens in Luke chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry, obviously. The very next thing that happens, it says Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit. After the Holy Spirit descends like a dove, after he receives this assuring message from God, it says, full of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit guides him out into the wilderness. This is, the Holy Spirit is, is pushing him to this place of discomfort. 
And we think like the Holy Spirit's here, like everything's going to be great now. But what we find is in, as the Holy Spirit is, is, fills him it, moves him, it moves Jesus to a place that is wild. It moves him into the wilderness. There's something about the Holy Spirit that does this. It guides us to God's places, which are often wild. When God gets a hold of us and his spirit is in us, is when the adventure starts. And for Jesus, he gets led out into the wilderness to some place that's uncomfortable. One of our sister churches, uh, McDowell Mountains, doing this series. And um, last week I was reminded uh, by, by one of their pastors, uh, Joe Webb, who said, the Holy Spirit may, be, may comfort us. The Holy Spirit may comfort. But he won't always lead to somewhere comfortable. And I think that's how this life with God works. The Holy Spirit may comfort us, but doesn't always lead us to a place that's comfortable. The peace that comes with God happens in the midst of the trial. And here we see Jesus being tempted by the devil. There's these three temptations. It's a whole sermon for another day. And he's in this place where he's vulnerable. He's in this place where he's experiencing trials. And the Holy Spirit's actually led him to this place because there's something that's happening. There's something that God is doing in this place of discomfort. Uh, In a few weeks, I'm going fishing, deep sea fishing in the Pacific Ocean. And here's the thing. I've never done it before. (laughs) And I'm not what you would call outdoorsy fishermen. I'm excited. It's going to be something that's uncomfortable for me. I'm going with Jason Bauer and Cole Bauer. I don't know if they're here today. They must be out of town prepping for the trip, maybe. I don't know. Uh, but as I'm getting ready to do this, I, I have, like, terrible luck fishing. Um, when I was a, a child, I remember being at Lake Powell. I think I made, like, the fishing gods mad somehow. Like, I remember I caught, like, 25 bluegill when I was a kid, and I put them in a bucket, and my dad was like, you need to, like, let them out or they're going to be dead the next day. I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever, and I forgot. And the next morning, I woke up with like 25 dead bluegill, and I was like freaking out, like didn't know what to do. Ever since then, I just have not been able to catch fish. It's like whatever the fishing gods, I don't know, like they don't let me. So like I'm excited to go on this trip. It's going to be very uncomfortable for me. It's going to be new. Um, But I'm trying to learn about like the type of fish that we'll be catching. And I'm super excited to, to go out on this boat with Jason. If I'm not back in two weeks, anyways, but... Uh, <laughs> But as I'm reading about these fish uh, that were, were going, I, I, I don't know, I stumbled upon this fish called the frillin goby. Have you ever heard of the, the frillin goby? Uh, it's an ugly fish, 10 to 15 centimeters long, that lives in tropical and subtropical regions around the world. I googled, googled a picture of it. I don't have it. It looks like some sort of creature off Stranger Things. And it lives in like the shallow waters, and it lives in rock pools. So what happens with this fish is that like during like low tides, uh, like, it, they, they get kind of stranded in these rock pools, which makes them vulnerable to predators. So, like, birds will come in, you know, dive bomb the goby and, and steal it. Um, but, but there's something that happens as a defense mechanism with this small little fish, is that when, when the birds come to the rock pools, um, it is able to dart and jump out of the rock pool across rocks into another rock pool. And it can go from rock pool to rock pool. Um, to avoid predators, to avoid birds that would try to eat it. And what's fascinating is you think like it is just like, you know, has a bird coming and it's just jumping desperately for its life, hoping to hit water somewhere. 
is kind of what you would see if you're observing it. Like, oh, this is like, like suicide mission, just jump to get out of the way kind of thing. And, uh, but they always tend to land in another rock pool. Always. They, never, they almost never miss. They're incredibly accurate. So scientists started studying this. They're like, what in the world is it like? It jumps in the air. It doesn't have wings. Like, how does it control where it's going? How does it know where the other rock pools are to avoid these predators? And as they started to study uh, these, these fish, the goby, what they found, it was absolutely fascinating that when there's high tide, when the water is, is all the way up, these fish will roam around all of the rock pools. And they, they have this, they have like a pea brain, but they're, they're able to, to make... Uh, calculations on how far these pools are from each other so that when the tide goes out and the birds come, they know exactly where every pool of safety is. And they're not just jumping blindly. They're jumping from the instinct of what they have prepared to avoid predators. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, nature, isn't this just amazing? This is just fascinating that these little ugly fish have the ability and the instincts to do this to avoid predators. But when I was thinking about like the Holy Spirit's work in our life and how often we're led to places of discomfort and places that are wild, I thought this sometimes might feel like what life with the Holy Spirit is. Here in the wilderness, we have Jesus being tempted by Satan, the evil one who's trying to destroy. And through these temptations, full of the Holy Spirit, he responds. And when we think about the life that we have, how... uh, in the midst of everything that like, Satan throws at us in this world, when the Holy Spirit is with us, it's almost like this instinct that goes ahead of us and tells us where the places of God are that are safe. And I think this is, in a strange way, how the Holy Spirit works in our life. It guides us to these different pools. And it might feel wild, and it might feel unpredictable, and yet at the same time, there's a sovereign God who is behind it, protecting us. When the Holy Spirit anoints us with God's approving presence, and then it guides us to God's places, which often seem wild, and yet God is with us in the midst of that wild. And here's what happens. Uh, after Jesus comes out of the wilderness, it says in, in verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. I think that's interesting phrasing. Like, we know that the Spirit's descended on him. We know that he's full of the Holy Spirit. But now that he's gone through the trials, it says that he has returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. The Holy Spirit empowers us to accomplish God's mission and God's purpose in this world. And this empowerment comes and Jesus, and, and what we find is like from here, this jump starts his whole ministry. And for the next three years, when you look at the life of Jesus and you look at what he accomplishes, the gospel writer John says there's not enough books to fit all of it in. From the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, he's able to do oh, amazing things. Empowered by the Holy Spirit after he's gone through the trials and the temptation in the desert. This Holy Spirit empowers us to do things that I believe are supernatural. And I think that there are two things that, that we take from that that might be the Holy Spirit calling right now. Um, the first is this. When we, when we are trying to do work on our own power, it leaves us exhausted, burnout, uh, unsatisfied. When we're trying, especially when we're trying to, to, 
it's almost like we move ahead of God. Corey Tinboom says this, trying to do the Lord's work in your own strength is the most confusing, exhausting, and tedious of all work. But when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, then the ministry of Jesus just flows out of you. And I think that's true when we try to do work on our own without God's presence in our life. It just leads to burnout. And yet at the same time, when we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, there's something that just flows out of us naturally, this life force of love from God. God works through us, empowering us individually, empowering us as his church. The Holy Spirit descends on us. We experience the assurance of God's love, our identity. The Holy Spirit guides us to places that are uncomfortable, but is with us in the midst of the trials. And the Holy Spirit empowers us to accomplish God's purposes here on earth. As we continue through this uh, series on the Holy Spirit, uh, my hope is that we would just encounter God, the living God, in fresh and new ways over the next few weeks. And I want to take some time today to just say, as a song that we sang, Holy Spirit, may we just experience you in this place a middle school cafeteria. May this place become something that is holy. May you connect with us like a breath of fresh air. May you breathe into us your life that is life of God. Each week we end our time with a time of communion. And today as we come to the communion table, my hope is that it would be to encounter this living Christ, the Spirit of God, the Comforter, the spirit that gives us strength and power, the, sp- the spirit that guides us. Each week as we take communion, here's what communion is. Uh, for us, it's symbolic of God's work on this earth, on the cross. We take a piece of bread that represents the body of Christ that was broken open. We take a cup of juice that represents the blood of Christ that was shed on the cross, that washes away sin. Through the breaking open of his body and the pouring out of his blood, we experience life that is eternal. And at Desert City, we practice open communion. If you are a follower of Jesus, we invite you to the table. But as you approach the table today, may you approach with an openness to the Holy Spirit of what God wants to do in your heart and in your soul and in your life. May you allow God to just breathe his spirit into you as we come to the table. I want to close with this prayer from St. Augustine about the Holy Spirit, and it says this. It says, Breathe in me, O Holy Spirit, that my thoughts may all be holy. Act in me, O Holy Spirit, that my work too may be holy. Draw my heart, O Holy Spirit, that I love what is holy. Strengthen me, O Holy Spirit, to defend all that is holy. Guard me then, O Holy Spirit, that I always may be holy. Amen. Today, I pray that God would just breathe and act and draw and strengthen and guard, that he would descend upon us today, that he would guide us, that he would empower us with his spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this comforter that you send, that we are in the company of one who strengthens us. That we are in the company of one who's Fruit is peace, peace that passes understanding. Lord, we know that your spirit works mysteriously 
We see it in the story of Peter and Cornelius, and we're reminded that you are at work in our world in ways that we don't understand. But today, Lord, we pray that you would just pour your spirit into us as your people. You would remind us that you would assure us of your love and our identity as your children. That you would guide us even to places that feel wild and uncomfortable, knowing that we're in the places that you want us to be. Lord, that you would empower us with your supernatural love. Lord, allow us to experience you today. In your son's name we pray. Amen.